You can't help someone if you don't know what they need. A lot of effort and good intentions can actually backfire if you don't have some kind of insight into the condition of the other person. This is another wrinkle in the command that seems simple but can be hard to live up to and is found in virtually every spiritual tradition. Love other people. What makes it even harder is that that word, love, is in danger of losing its meaning. I mean, it's pretty overused. And it's used to mean so many different things, but still, The fact that loving your neighbor is a good thing is clear, right? We can feel it. We can tell it's something to aspire to. It's just the specifics that can be elusive sometimes. What would be nice is if there was some kind of how-to video on it. Well, YouTube is the place to go for how-to videos. If you want to figure out how to change a headlight, do your taxes, it's there. And tonight, we're going to try to add an ambitious entry to the stash. Stay tuned. Alright everybody, welcome back. It's Swedenborg and Life on Monday night. We're going to talk about how to love today. Yeah, this will be a step-by-step guide to the most important thing in life. My name is Curtis Childs. I'm the host. And remember, you can be part of the show. Get your questions, your comments in. Uh, We'll take them live at the end of the show. Let's get into it. As we do every week, we're looking at these topics through the lens of Swedenborg uh, and the lens of life. Hence the title of this show. And let's see what both have to say about the topic. We'll get into part one now. When we're telling you how to love, the first question is why why should I even do it? You know? Uh, so first of all, you should because it helps people. <laughs> but if you need further reasons, like that's not good enough, you know, the the smile on the face of a child lifting the, the heart of the human race, not good enough. What else is in it for me? Here's a few other things. First of all, you might want to learn more about loving because we're wired to do it. You're, you're going along with our basic neural circuitry. There's a guy named Franz de Waal, and he did a lot of research with primates, and through that research, he came to believe that there is a hard wiring for altruism that extends to human beings. Here's a little bit of what he said about it. We're pre-programmed to reach out. Empathy is an automated response over which we have limited control. We can suppress it, mentally block it, or fail to act on it. But except for a tiny percentage of humans, known as psychopaths, no one is emotionally immune to another's situation. The fundamental yet rarely asked question is, Why did natural selection design our brains so that we're in tune with our fellow human beings, feeling distress at their distress and pleasure at their pleasure? If exploitation of others were all that mattered, evolution should never have gotten into the empathy business. Plus, you guys see that video of the little kid at the zoo and the gorilla, and they're both chasing each other playing hide-and-seek. It's cute. Uh, so empathy, feeling joy for other people, recognizing their needs. There's a sort of a physiological, evolutionary, uh, natural 
wiring for that, but there's also a spiritual wiring for it that Swedenborg describes, Secrets of Heaven 637. Remember, you can download this book, click on it, you can get the whole thing as a free ebook or download if you want to ever explore more around these numbers that we bring up. He says, our proper code of life is to love one another as we love ourselves. But what we actually do these days is to love ourselves more than others and thus hate everyone else. <laughs> so a pretty good description of us. We hate everybody who's not us. We humans live exactly opposite to the pattern ordained for us. So if the Lord did not take pity on us, if he did not bind us to him through angels, we could not possibly survive a single moment of this humanity is unaware. So the angels that are around, according to Swedenborg, aren't just there to like, oh, don't walk out on the street now. They're, they're part of the link that lets our consciousness survive. And if, I don't know if you noticed in the beginning, he talked about there's a pattern there's a pattern for human behavior that that we're, we often veer out of. That we're, what this show is about, trying to get you back into the pattern. All right? He goes on, Secrets of Heaven 503. One who is under the influence of love is not satisfied with just knowing what is good and true, but wants to do it. That is, be useful. So it's not just uh, love is not an internal thing only. It has to come through to action in order for it to be completed, and that's obvious. You could, if you love someone but never do it, you know, I, I love you so much, son. Yeah, I never hung out with you, but I love you. You know, that it's a much different statement than spending time, doing things, you know. So we've got that set, we've got this wiring, that is how you love, and there's a couple of extra benefits that come with it. First of all, altruism is a connection with the mindset of heavenly wisdom. You get intelligence benefits. You might sort of think they're in two separate boxes, but Swedenborg says, actually, love is how you reach wisdom. He talks about it here, Secrets of Heaven, 1458. In heaven, amazing to say, the people on whom the light shines are those who enjoy a condition of wisdom and understanding, and it shines in perfect accord with that condition. Checks, spiritual experiences, modern near-death experiences, a lot of them will say, There's some kind of light that holds intelligence. Those who enjoy the highest state of wisdom and understanding have the greatest light. Wisdom there, however, is a matter of love and charity. Here, it seems pretty separate. Like, you can have some very, very smart people who are not that nice, and really kind-hearted people who appear relatively simple. Swedenborg is saying that, that actually, in the spirit where we're all headed, the more loving you are, the smarter you are. People will describe in, in their near-death experiences, I suddenly I had all the knowledge in the world. You know? And that, that, that opening to that kind of stuff, actually, love is what opens that up. Right? He goes on, Secrets of Heaven, 1, 2, 2, 4. The ancient church. So this is, you watch our episode that was called The Spiritual History of the Human Race to learn what he's talking about there. Basically the first primal mindset of the human race. The ancient church, the one that had depth, primal in, a, in its positive sense, was endowed with wisdom, understanding, secular learning, and knowledge of truth and goodness. Wisdom is the term for everything that charity fathers. So charity meaning kindness, love. So wisdom is the term for everything that charity fathers, because whatever charity fathers comes by way of charity from the Lord, who is the source of all wisdom, since he is wisdom itself. This is the origin of true understanding, which is the origin of true learning, which is the origin of true knowledge. All three are the, all three are the offspring of charity, or in other words, children of the Lord by way of charity, and not 
In fact, not one of them, not understanding or secular learning or religious knowledge, has any life except that drawn from wisdom, which belongs to charity, which is the Lord's. So I think there you get an example of why a lot of people will open up Swedenborg and say, what is this? I can't read this. There's like so many terms, and he's going on. It's relatively technical. Maybe maybe it was obvious for you, but essentially what that's saying is that the, the birth of these the, of wisdom, intelligence, is in love. God, God is love and wisdom. It's through God's love that wisdom comes up, about, and we can follow that same pattern. So, Secrets of Heaven, returning to Secrets of Heaven, 1458, this time, bracket two. This is where he, Swedenborg is talking about a quote from Isaiah. If you bring out your soul for someone, starving, and satiate an afflicted soul, in the shadows your light will rise, and your darkness will be like midday. And he's explaining the meaning here. Bringing out your soul for someone starving and satiating an afflicted soul stands for good deeds inspired by neighborly love. In the shadows your light will rise stands for the fact that people who do such deeds have an intelligent understanding of truth. While your darkness will be like midday stands for the fact that they have a wise appreciation of goodness. So people, people who do loving things understand the truth intelligently. And that's not always, you don't, if you want to get a PhD, there's not a requirement, go do loving things, right? It's memorize facts, show working knowledge of things. Swedenborg is saying that on a spiritual level, and actually on a human psychological level, the act, we need to do good things. That gives you the, tr- the clear perception of, of the deeper truths of life, right? So there's, there's a reason you might want to be nice. If you don't already want to be, you'll get smarter. You'll be a smart person then. Also, altruism is a connection with God. In case you ever wanted to be connected with God, Apocalypse Explained 2.13, Swedenborg talks about it. The Lord is present in charity, and not in faith apart from charity. By the way, that word charity, it means kindness. We, we have a specific modern meaning for that. We think charity is donating to charitable organizations or basically helping people you don't know monetarily. Um, it mean, another word for that is translated in other places as kindness. So think about it as, as kindness. The Lord is present in a person's affection or love, thus in the life of his or her spirit. For it is love or affection that makes the life of a person's spirit. Consequently, the Lord is present in charity. To be loved in reference to the Lord means that he is present, because love causes conjunction and consequent presence, and to him who loves, the Lord enters in, and teaches and leads the person, and enables the person also to love him, that is, to do his commandments and precepts, for this is to love the Lord. Love is the connection with God. This is... As we explained long ago in a, in a Swedenborg Minute on this channel, how you connect with God is you act like God is. You want the same goals as God. That's how, partners, that's how we form partnerships on earth. You work together with someone on a, on a shared goal. You have a, a common passion. That joins people together like crazy. That's how it goes with God. And God is love. So the more we participate in love, the more we get this connection and all other benefits that go with that, such as eternal happiness, right? Pretty good perks. So... That's that. Those are a couple extra bonuses. Now let's get on to love itself, which, which should be self-evident. You want, if you've suffered at all, you should know, man, I don't want that to happen to anyone. Suffering sucks. I want to try to alleviate that, and I, want, I know that love feels good, so I want to pass this along. But it's not always easy. And actually, Swedenborg says that 
this study of charity or of love was in this in back in the day when the human race was in a higher, more spiritual mindset. Uh, sometime in history, he doesn't specify years or anything like that. The study of love or study of kindness was one of the chief studies. You know, there's some psychology into it today, but back then it was like, this is one of the, how do you be loving and loving wisely in different situations? It was like a chief study. And Swedenborg says that actually a lot of the secrets to this love are summed up in some words spoken by Jesus Christ. We're going to look at them now, and this is, as we saw in that little snippet from Isaiah, Swedenborg says that in passages in the Old and New Testaments, a lot of these secrets are wrapped up if you understand the language that they're in. So this particular passage comes from Matthew 25, and it's a summary of the different ways that we love people according to what they need. So we'll give you the quote, and then we'll get into each part of it. So here's Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So in those places, all those different descriptions, hungry, thirsty, so on, that's describing the states of need that occur in the human race. So the more we know about those kinds of needs, the more we know how we can help and love. So you want to find it out? Let's check it out in part two. So water and bread, the symbols of satiating hunger and thirst. And that bread loaf has gotten some good airplay in the last few episodes, which I'm glad about. It always makes me hungry when we have it on. So, speaking of hungry, what does it mean to be spiritually hungry? or psycho- When I say spiritually, you could just as well say mentally, emotionally, psychologically hungry and thirsty. So let's focus on just that line from, from Matthew 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. What does that mean? God is saying, God, the source of love, is saying, if you did this to anyone, you've done this to me. If I was hungry, you gave me food. Thirsty, you gave me drink. So, a caveat to begin. The Swedenborg Foundation, nonprofit Swedenborg Foundation, is not the organization you want to turn to for alleviating physical hunger and thirst. That's a great thing to do for the human race. It's obviously a very direct act of love. And there's other organizations. Action Against Hunger is a great one. There's a lot out there. If you have the capacity, go do that work. It does matter, of course. What we're looking at today is the hunger and the thirst on a spiritual level. What does that mean? I bet, we did you ever think of that? You could be spiritually hungry and thirsty? Swedenborg says the spirit is like the body, an organism. And, and what does it mean if you're deficient? You know how being thirsty or hungry feels and how it may, affects your mood and everything on a bodily level. So are we hungry? Are we dehydrated spiritually? Let's take a look. Secrets of Heaven 680. 
Everyone can see that goodness and truth are a person's genuine food. Anyone deprived of them is dead, not living. The best place to learn about heavenly and spiritual food is in the other life. Angels and spirits sustain their life not with the kind of food the world offers, but with every word that issues from the Lord's mouth, as he himself teaches in Matthew 4.4. The situation is that the Lord alone is the life of all. From him comes each and everything that the angels and spirits think, say, or do. So the entirety of heaven and the entire world of spirits live on everything that comes out of the Lord's mouth. And every individual there receives life from the same source. Indeed, this applies not only to heaven and the world of spirits, but to the entire human race as well. So that's us. I know that people will scoff. Did you scoff at home? Okay. I know that people will scoff, but I can still assert from years of constant experience that it is absolutely true. So on a spiritual level, there is a need for what he calls goodness and truth. That those spiritually are playing the same function that food and water are playing for us physically. And if we're deprived of those, we suffer in similar ways. Let's look on Secrets of Heaven 678. Because the human soul lives on goodness and pleasure and sustains itself by means of them, they are called food. They actually are food, since the soul could never survive without them, as anyone who is willing to pay attention can see. Being hu- and then further, Secrets of Heaven 4958, being hungry means longing for good with genuine desire, because an inner sen- in an inner sense, bread means the good sought by love and charity. And food in general means what is good. Being thirsty means longing for truth with genuine desire, because wine and water mean the truth that make up faith. So on a spiritual level, water and food mean goodness of love and the truth. So how can we be missing those things in our spirits? Or how can we identify other people who are missing those things? We're looking at how to love. To love, you need to know what the person needs right? If you, you ever heard of that thing, the five love languages where couples, you know, if you haven't, I'll give a, a poor summary of it. There are different things that are important to people. If some people in relationships uh, act, what are called acts of service are what's really important to them. Meaning if your spouse does the dishes for you, that's a big deal. Other people could go either way on that. Some people it's touch. If you get touch, that's, that's the thing that matters most to you. Some people it's quality time. So if you're, if you're thinking one way and just, oh man, I did the dishes, I cleaned the kitchen, why aren't they happy? But that's not what they're looking for, right? And this is not just within romantic relationships. All kinds of people at different times. Think about the different times you've been hurting in different ways in your life. You need different things, right? So what are these? So how can you tell if somebody's spiritually hungry, needs spiritual food, or spiritually thirsty? So we have a psychologist here to talk about that. Dr. Sony Werner's been on our program before, and she actually wrote a book dealing with this subject from a Swedenborgian perspective. So here's her talking a little bit about spiritual hunger and what people who have that condition might need from us as an act of love. Well, when I think about spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst, I think about my responsibility as a human being to pay attention to what other people need. And what I mean by that is tuning out my own needs for the moment and paying attention to a longing that I see in another person. They may verbalize it, they might not. But what I look for with spiritual hunger is somebody who is longing to be around people who are being good. 
doesn't mean those other people are good all the time, but they want to be in a community of people who are kind to each other and and appreciative and, lo- and loving to each other. And they may have come from a hostile environment, maybe a rough family or a, a terrible neighborhood or some other kind of war situation, and they're longing for some peace and and love. And that's really what spiritual hunger means, longing to be in that environment. Um, at the, the most celestial level, that means feeling the Lord's goodness right through all these people. It's kind of like getting close to the sun on a warm day. You, you just want to be close to it. It's, that's what we feel like spiritually when we're really around a lot of people who are very kind and warm. So someone is, someone may need love. And I like that analogy she gives of you need to be in the sun. You think about being cold. You've been out in the snow or something. You just need that warmth. So there are times when people are feeling this spiritual hunger, which is a lack of love, right? And if they're, if they're there, then it's just, it's affirmations. It's, it's kind words. That's what they need. But what, what is this, the thirst? What is it to lack truth? Sony talks about this as well. Now, spiritual thirst is a longing for what is true. So if you feel like people aren't telling you the truth all the time, or you feel like uh, people are phony, or they're, they're sharing false ideas, or for instance, you see advertisements on TV and they just aren't telling the truth, and you're longing to find out the facts, that's at the lowest level. At a higher level, trying to figure out, well, what is true? What is a universal truth? Like, how should we really treat each other? And, and it might be in the form of people seeking doctrine, or they might be on a spiritual quest to try to find out, well, what are the universal ideas about how we should treat each other? So the first one is longing to be around goodness, and the second one is to long to, to get some facts and some truth that they can use as a guiding principle for their lives. So th- seekers are thirsty, in a way. If you're out there, maybe scrolling through YouTube, trying to find what what's out there. Maybe you have some thirst. And I sort of see it as not just you're trying to learn the truth a first time. I, I you know, reading Swedenborg, reading spiritual materials, even if I have read it once, if I haven't gotten into that stuff in a while, I can start to get what I would feel like is thirst. That that Because, you know, you've got to drink water every day. It's not like, oh, I already drank water. You gotta drink it every day. And I find if I haven't been, had my mind exposed to uplifting principles in a while, I start to get dragged down. And and that you can even rereading something that you've already known or already read before, it can oh, refresh you, right? So that that is that is how it's like water. That it, you you need to. That's why some people will wake up and they have something written above their mirror. They you know that they read every morning, or there's some kind of ritual they read their sacred text every morning because you got to be hydrated, and it really matters to have that stuff more and more on the tip of your mind. It helps you get through the daily grind. You know, it helps you, you have it right there in your, in your bag for the, the struggles that come up. So this is satiating spiritual thirst. And even, it seems like even small, so this is hunger and thirst are these two conditions people have, and we want to help those people. We want to love them. It seems that even small actions can make a big difference. I want to tell you a story uh, from somebody who's named Anya. And she, we found her on Facebook. She actually sent a message to our Heaven and Hell Facebook page that the Swedenborg Foundation runs. And she was telling us the story of her spiritual experience. She had not, a, I don't think it was a near-death experience where her body was 
you know, in some kind of danger, but what is often called a spiritually transformative experience. It's like a near-death experience, but you just have it. You don't, you don't have like a car accident or something that triggers it. So she wrote it out for us, and we had somebody reading it. It's not her, but this is her text. And this is a cool experience, and it, it nails in this idea of the importance of helping people in little ways and how that's really the, the key to life. So this is what she wrote to us. It was 1987. I was 32 at the time, knitting a scarf on a beach in Italy, when suddenly I got a life review. It was an inner body experience, I think. I relived my whole life until then, and I really don't know how many seconds or minutes. However, in my case, I only saw the good I had experienced and that had been given to me. I then realized how important a smile, a hand on a head, or a kind word is. It was made clear to me I shouldn't ask anything for myself anymore. Then I got all information there was to get. It seemed I knew everything there was to know, even to the extent of why at some point so many millions have to die at times. And finally, a voice in my head spoke three times, every time increasing in loudness, service to humanity. Never in my life have I felt so at peace with myself, with life, and with everybody on earth. And never before or afterwards have I experienced such feelings of happiness and gratefulness. So that's cool. First of all, Anya, thanks for sharing that. Second of all, do you see the progression there? That do these little loving things and then all knowledge comes to her. And that she she knows everything, she gets it all. And still after that, it's iterating again, service to humanity service to humanity. So it's important to do those. And those little things, like a hand on the head, kind word, that to me strikes as spiritual hunger, right? That you just need a kind word. But you don't always need that, do you? If you're more in sort of a thirsty state uh, or you're longing to know the deeper truth of life, you know, that might not have as big an impact. It depends on what the person needs. So We've looked at a couple of them. We're going to wrap up this segment here with Divine Love and Wisdom 297. Love has service as its goal. Love tends toward service. Love brings about service through wisdom. So that goes with her story of here's all the knowledge. Do nice things for people. Three times. That three is, is a significant number in a lot of spiritual traditions, Swedenborg included. Service to humanity. Saying that, right? That's the important thing. So, we want to serve humanity, right? Because as we've talked about, it's good for us, it's good for our connection to God, it's good for our wisdom, good for everything. We've looked at two ways. When people are hungry or when they're thirsty spiritually, this is what we do. But there are more ailments than just those two, so we want to be equipped to deal with as many situations as we can. Let's take a look now at the naked and the strangers. So let's return to Matthew 25, to our our text where it was talking about the different ailments, and look at the second line in there. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. So what does that mean? We're going to take a look at that, but first, we have to go on a quick tangent about taking care of yourself. 
because when this comes up, you'll often get people saying, well, you got to you, love, you got to love yourself first, uh, or I always do so much nice stuff for everybody else that I can't take care of myself. So let's talk about that. Where does the whole thing fit in, and what is it, and how much love do we direct towards ourselves? how much do we direct towards other people, and why, and when, and how, and where, and who? Okay, True Christianity 406. Uh, here's a long one but it's important. How we are to be neighbors to ourselves, however, can be shown through the following analogy. We should all provide our bodies with food. This has to come first, but the goal is to have a sound mind in a sound body. We also ought to provide our mind with its food, that is, things that build intelligence and judgment, but the goal is to be in a state in which we can serve our fellow citizens, our community, our country, the church, and therefore the Lord. People who pursue this goal are providing well for themselves to eternity. These points make clear what is primary from the standpoint of time and what is primary from the standpoint of purpose. What is primary from the standpoint of purpose is the true overall goal. This situation is like people building a house. They have to lay the foundation first, but the foundation is for the house and the house is for living in. People who hold being neighbors to themselves as their first and foremost objective are like people whose main purpose is building the foundation rather than living in the house. Yet living in the house is the primary and ultimate purpose overall. The house and its foundation are only a means to an end. So, you may send letters about this, but Swedenborg is making the shocking claim that the point of life is not to look out for yourself. There is a place for looking out for yourself. It's not that you're supposed to deny yourself or hate yourself. There's a lot of important stuff you got to do for yourself. Uh, you, you do need to take care of yourself. People will say, you have to learn to love yourself. Yeah, you need to feel good about who you are. You, if you're getting, especially if you're getting a lot of internal flack, you're getting beaten up by your head, you got to be loving to yourself. But once you're there, once you're whole, then we spread the love to other people who are needing it. He says it's like a house. We got a diagram of the house. The foundation is caring for yourself. Serving the greater good is the living in the house. So the purpose of getting ourselves feeling good about who we are, getting ourselves have in a place where we have a healthy body, we have means, we have, we have money, we have uh, ways to do things, all that is so we can get to the living, which is the serving of the greater good, the serving of humanity. Yeah, so, so it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you don't have the basic needs for yourself taken care of, you can't do anything good for other people. But the twist here is that the goal in mind is to be taking care of yourself so that you can help others. If you're overstretched, everyone's asking you for stuff, you you haven't had time to take care of yourself, yeah, you're not going to be good to, to help anyone. But ironically, as Swedenborg was saying, looking to help other people is helping ourselves in the greatest way, because you're setting yourself up with the kind of mindset that will make you happy to eternity if you're willing to help other people and make that the goal of your life. So there, everybody wins. And think about what what a world we would live in where everybody is looking to help everyone else. Think about what that would be like to travel somewhere. You wouldn't have to worry, is this a safe place? Am I getting a good deal? Because everybody there is just looking to serve. That's a cool world, and that's what we're trying to build, right? Secrets of Heaven, 4958. A foreigner. Okay, so now, now, right, we're back. We're back to our um, the the stranger and the uh, the naked. Okay, we're done our tangent. A foreigner or stranger means someone who wants to be taught. The meaning of the naked are those who acknowledge they have nothing good or true in them. So 
a foreigner, a stranger, someone who lacks clothes, and or I mean, uh, who's who doesn't fit in, right? Uh, this is somebody who says, I, I'm not in the right mental company. I want to be taught. And then someone who lacks clothes is they lack, uh, they know, they've been broken down. They know they have no goodness and truth in them. That's sort of a Swedenborgism to say that it's someone who's in a humble state, right? Humble and sort of fragile, too. You know, it's fragile to not have clothing to protect you from the elements, right? So there's these two different states. And Sony Werner talking more about these gives us kind of a, a perspective on what does that mean practically. So let's take a look first at how do we love people who are in this stranger state? So when somebody is a stranger, we all know what that means literally. They might be new to your community. They might be new to your country. They are an immigrant, perhaps. We all know what that means literally. And we may have mixed feelings about whether or not we welcome somebody who looks different from us, has a different accent. And we're not quite sure if we want to welcome them into our family or our neighborhood. But the whole point is to try. Jesus is really asking us to reach out and pay attention to what are they longing for. They're longing to be welcomed. And that's at the literal level. But at a spiritual level, being a stranger is somebody who is eager for assistance on their spiritual journey. And it's a little bit like a longing for truth, but it's also a little bit more of empathy as well. Um, Not making fun of or not taking advantage of somebody who is a little spiritually naive. It's important to reach out to them just like you would to a stranger who's new to your neighborhood. So reaching out to somebody who is maybe new to a church or new to a, a spiritual growth discussion group or new to a blog where people are communicating or chatting on a uh, internet site when they're really trying to figure out, well, well what is a, a universal truth and how can they be welcomed into that? So there's an eagerness for assistance. That's information as well as empathy when they're on a, some kind of a spiritual quest. So if you look at the news right now, there's a lot going on with the stranger on a physical level. A lot of like immigration stuff across the world. Uh, and, and people, we want people who are not like us here. We don't want them here. There's a lot of organizations that are investigating that, have great research on it. We're not the ones for that. But we're looking at on this, um, on a spiritual level. What is that? That somebody can, even who seems just like you, can be a stranger spiritually because they're just trying to come in to this spiritual journey and don't don't uh, turn uh, turn up your nose at them. You know, don't, you, what you don't know that you're not very enlightened. You know, notice when somebody is in need there and how can you assist? And then the naked the naked person <laughs> don't hope no kids are watching this. The naked person is in a similar kind of state, and Sony talks about it here. Oh, she's she's about to talk about it. We're pulling up the clip right now. Uh. Now, the other one is about the whole idea of nakedness. Now, we all know what that means uh, at a literal level when people need protective clothing, such as on a really rainy hail storm or that kind of a day, and you have to have some kind of coat on you. Well, I like to think of that metaphor when I think about a spiritual nakedness. This is um, has to do with people who are longing for protective truths, and the, mo- the most important word is hope. They're longing for hope. They may have been harshly treated. Again, they may have been abandoned by their parents or they may have had a really rough neighborhood that they lived in and they feel that life has just led them to a state of despair. Psychologically, sometimes people get very depressed and they just feel despair and they don't have a lot of hope. 
So if we are going to reach out to our neighbors or as a psychologist, it's important for us to try to offer some kind of realistic hope. Don't just say, oh, it's going to be fine, but to really understand where they are and to try to give them some kind of a hopeful message that they can indeed uh, find some way of getting a truth that will help them, protect them. An example of this is when somebody says, God has forgotten me. Uh, there, there's no reason why the Lord is even paying attention to me. Look what a terrible life I've had. That person has lost hope. And so another person can be uh, comforting to them by letting them know, actually, no, there, there really is a God, and God has not forgotten who you are. And so that's kind of a, a protective truth that maybe that person could hold on to. So protective truths, uh, you know, correspondences, we always talk about that, the Swedenborgian system of objects symbolizing things, clothing symbolizes truths. And if you're, if you're on a spiritual journey, like you've or, or you're even with the same spiritual tradition that you grew up in, the chances are you're there because you felt comfort in the ideas in it, right? You find something, and oh, that, that makes me feel so good about life. You know, that, that really is like clothing, that, that, that sometimes you need those to protect you from the elements, the elements being life. Have you ever felt that? I don't know if I'm communicating that clearly, but that, that makes so much tangible sense to me, that sometimes concepts about the way that life is structured, uh, concepts about God, concepts about what, what we are as human beings, what comes in the life after death, those can be so comforting and so protecting that they're like clothing. And if sometimes people are lacking those, you know, it's different from um, sometimes people are, like when we talked about the, the hungry, you just need empathy, you just need love. It's a different thing to deliver a concept you know, this, hey, did, did, did you hear this? This was something that was really helpful to me. You see how those are different, and that if you need one, you may not need the other in the same way, or that one might be a lot more effective than the other in the situation. So, hopefully, we can have this kind of in the back of our minds, and when the right situation comes up, we know what to say. Of course, you don't always know what to say in, in intense situations, but you try your best, and hopefully, because of you know, having information like this, every, you hit you hit the right spot a little more often. All right, so let's keep rolling through. We got two more: the sick and the prisoners. All right, so let's return Matthew twenty-five and our our final little clause there uh, with these last two groups. Oh, I don't have it yet. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. All right, so, sorry, we were just trying to get our stuff ready. You saw me waiting for it, then it popped up. Did you get the text anyway? Uh, That's what we're talking about. Sick and in prison. And what are those? Those those are pretty serious sounding. You know, although hunger and thirst can obviously be really debilitating, you generally encounter those more often in, oh, you're hungry, here you go. But if you're really sick or you're in prison, serious business. So what does it all mean? Seekers of Heaven 4956. The sick are people who acknowledge they have nothing but evil in them. And prisoners or people in jail are those who acknowledge they have nothing but falsity in them. So this is, this is like hitting bottom. You're like, oh, I don't know anything, or I just, everything, I'm, you know, I've got so much baggage 
How am I going to get through that? So that state of being overwhelmed by that are the sickness, are those who are in sickness and those who are in prison. So let's hear a little more about what that means. Practically, we return to what Sony says. Understanding the spiritual needs of somebody who is spiritually sick is a little more complicated. It's my understanding from studying Swedenborg as well as studying psychology is that when somebody is spiritually sick, they are just overwhelmed with intense negative emotions. Let's take the example of revenge. They just have made it their mission in life to seek revenge on an individual or group of people who have harmed them. And it absolutely, it's like a cancer in their brain. It just hurts their whole attitude in life. Another one is greed, just constantly trying to acquire more wealth to the detriment of other people around them. Another one is uh, feeling um, that nobody cares about who they are. And so they are completely discouraged. So any one of these negative emotions, anger, revenge, hatred, uh, greed, they really can make a person spiritually sick. And so it's very difficult to try to figure out, well, who am I in that person's life when they are so consumed with that negative emotion? And Swedenborg tells us that we can't necessarily just go in and fix it in one day, but we can try to visit them. We can try to have empathy. Doesn't mean we agree with them. Doesn't mean we endorse their revenge or their hatred, but we try to see the world from their perspective. That's what it means to kind of visit somebody who is spiritually sick. And if at all possible, they might pull out of that after many, many years. It may not happen quickly. They might be able to get well but they need to be surrounded by people who care about them and can give them some kind of a pathway how to get out of that intense emotion. But they first have to be be around people who have empathy, again, without endorsing them, without endorsing, yeah, you have a right to be revengeful or hated or hatred is just consuming you. You have a right to be that way. So it's a tricky thing to do. How do you have empathy without endorsing what they're saying and what they're feeling? Use that in language, don't we? Oh, that... That person is sick. That's a really sick thing to do, you know? I like that idea of the visiting. There are people who are who are completely under the control of that, and to visit or to, to you know, to come to them is not to say, oh, I, I'm with you. It's to try to, how could they ever go down this path? You know, how could the world seem like that to them, right? And that that's, that's what is needed at that particular time, and that that might, and who knows what it does for that person to have somebody at least try to see their perspective on the whole thing, even if it doesn't mean you validate their perspective. All right? So then finally, what is if that's sickness, what's the imprisonment? Swedenborg said that the prisoner acknowledging that uh, there's nothing but falsity in them. There's always kind of this pairing of intellectual and emotional, that, you know, the hunger and thirst was the need for good and then the need for truth. So here you have the sick as the emotional side. The prisoner is... The intellectual side, nothing but falsity in them. And don't you, can't ideas keep people imprisoned in their mind, right? Sony talks a little bit more about this. The last one is also complex. I've, I've really thought a lot about this. Uh, having worked in prisons and worked with people who are physically in prison, I've been also fascinated with people who are spiritually imprisoned. And a good example of somebody who's spiritually imprisoned is somebody who's trapped in some kind of a false idea. A good example is one of the mental disorders called OCD, 
and that would be um, people who are are obsessed or they have a compulsion to do something and they're convinced of the false idea that if they don't do it, the world will come to an end. That maybe if they avoid the cracks on the pavement, maybe then everybody in their life will be safe. If they don't count all of the pencils on the desk, then maybe people in their life won't be safe. That's a false idea, but we get stuck in that. It kind of goes around and around and around. So people can also be stuck in a false idea such as there's nothing good in me. There's nothing true in me. I am just worthless. That's a false idea. Because according to Swedenborg, we are just filters or um, we are vessels. We can receive goodness and truth from the Lord. We can also receive bad things from evil spirits. And, and we can choose which one of those we want to be filled with. So what can we do for somebody who's spiritually trapped? Again, the story is that we're supposed to visit. Try to understand what's it like from their perspective. Again, you don't have to agree with them, but trying to have some kind of compassion for their obsession or their feeling like the world is really a, a terrible place to live in. And I think that's the beginning. Again, it's a long process. So dealing with somebody who's spiritually sick or spiritually imprisoned is a very challenging thing to do, but it's worth trying. So a few things from that. Worth understanding them. This is kind of the the uh, progression of psychology that it used to be. Back in the day, there was these mental asylums, and anybody who was crazy, they're just crazy, get them out of here, just stick them in a room and strap them down, and that's what it is, right? But now... You start to understand the worlds of people and go do treatment and therapy based on actually asking people what's going on. It's, it's a lot more humane than it was, right? And then also uh, the OCD prison. I was in that prison, man. I used to have OCD. Just like you're talking about, I got to do this or else something's not safe. And it seems ridiculous. I don't, I don't do it now. I don't have it now. But at the time, you just... You don't know for sure, and you're just like, oh, well, I just got to do it. And it totally is imprisoning because it makes, like, things took so long for me to do. It keeps you on a state of agitation. You're, not, you're never totally safe, man. It's intense. It's really intense. And if you want to help people who are trapped in those kinds of prisons, don't, you know, visit them, like she's saying. Uh, try to understand where they're coming from. Don't say, just snap out of it. If you've, if you've never been in prison, you don't know what it's like in prison. If you've never been in prison mentally, you don't know what it's like. So you can't just say, "Well, you're what you're depressed. Just just get better. Just just come on. Just think happy thoughts." You know, that's not it. If you've never experienced not being in control of your mental or emotional processes, you don't know. So the first step, if you're somebody and you know someone who's in prison like that, what you can do is visit and you can try to see the world from their perspective. It doesn't mean that you think it's the truth. It just means that's the way. That, it, that, that you're going to, by realizing that it's true for them, meaning they really are experiencing that stuff, that's where you can start to be in a position to help. Because if you're denying their basic uh, understanding of their, or their basic experience of their own reality, you're never going to get in there, right? So those are a couple of things about sick and prison. But with all of these, and this goes back to the taking care of yourself tangent, you know, if you're going to go visit somebody in the hospital... There are certain people that when you visit them in the hospital, you got to have like a mask on. You can't touch them. You'll get sick, right? Or if you go visit in prison, there's a guard in the room. You know, why? Because there's danger. So how do we go 
help people who are sick or imprisoned or any of these other things without getting hurt ourselves. And this comes back to the person who gives and gives and is being taken advantage of. So what do we do? Uh, True Christianity 748, Swedenborg says, love has power only through wisdom. That's the foundational principle of this episode, that only through understanding the needs of people and seeing the state that they're in, that's the only way we can effectively help them. Just having that love. If you go at it the wrong way, you're going to hurt the person, you can end up hurting yourself, or you spend a lot of energy and don't get anywhere. So how do you love wisely enough that you're you're addressing the problem, but you're not being taken advantage of. So we talked to uh, Dr. Ted Klein, who is a senior lecturer in philosophy at the University of Massachusetts in Boston, and he had a few things to say. He had, he had uh, done some work on this, and he had a few things to say about how to love, but how to love wisely. So here's his interview. I think a key part of that is that we need to be loving and also wise, or, you know, the Sometimes the words like intention and discernment, the idea of, of caring, uh, but also not blindly caring, trying to be discerning about the situation. And the discernment would include like being mindful of where we are, what we can bring to situations, but also patterns in the situation so that we can try to contribute in a way which will help rather than hurt, try to be discriminating about what's likely to happen. So it's kind of a, a being caring, uh, but also being mindful of the situation and uh, weighing what we might do. Well, one example would be like um, sometimes in a situation where I, I will have a student ask me for a recommendation for a job, and a lot of the time it's not hard to do because if I feel very positive about the person, I'll just give them a very honest and positive recommendation. If I have some doubts about the fit, I'll try to raise the questions with the students, say, well, maybe you should explore other possibilities. If the person wants me to go ahead, I might do the letter anyway, but it, it, it probably wouldn't have the enthusiasm. I would kind of moderate it to try to be balanced about it. Uh, or in a classroom, I encourage people to speak and to share but sometimes if I feel somebody's dominating a class, then I'll try to say, well, let's hear from somebody who hasn't spoken yet try to try to bring in other people. I've observed in churches sometimes, how do you deal with situations when people ask for money and uh, when you don't know what they're going to do with it? And sometimes people have vouchers where if you need such and such, you give them a voucher that they can use for certain things like food if they have food needs. Or a lot of the time when I was in parish situations, I would have a, a list of people who are more skilled in particular areas to send somebody to. And it's also just learning how to be caring ourselves and to uh, try to pay more attention to the needs outside of ourselves and kind of be better able to respond uh, when things do come up and kind of keep learning from experience. Well, another thing is... Uh, it's difficult sometimes in personal relationships to not be enabling. When someone's struggling with an issue, we may feel the most caring thing is to be supportive, but sometimes what we may need to do is back off or challenge to try to help them to deal with what's going on. Where if we just you know, go ahead and, and support what 
what's going on, we may be enabling something not good to continue. And that, that comes up a lot, I think, in personal relationships. It can be imbalanced either way. If we have lots of knowledge about a situation but aren't compassionate, uh, we may be lacking in what we bring. But then on the other hand, if we're very compassionate but don't uh, have the discernment to go with it, I'd rather err on the side of being too compassionate and moderate that rather than not being compassionate enough. Right. So come from love first and then err in that direction. But you can see that there's so there's um, sort of an order of operations, you know, that love doesn't always look like you'd think love would. Sometimes you can be doing a loving thing, but it almost seems harsh because the wisdom is informing you, this is how I got to act. And Swedenborg says this, True Christianity 406, all individual members of humankind are the neighbor we are to love, but in different ways, depending on the type of goodness they have. That's all capitalized because that's a subject heading. Loving our neighbors is intending and doing good, not only to neighbors, friends, and good people, but also to strangers, enemies, and evil people. But we exercise goodwill in our dealings with the latter in different ways than we do in our dealings with the former. We exercise goodwill in our dealings with our neighbors and friends by benefiting them directly. We exercise goodwill in our dealings with our enemies and evil people by benefiting them indirectly through our warnings, corrective action, punishments, and therefore efforts to improve them. So if you know any evil people... That's what you do. But, you know, like, people that potentially will be harmful. He's, he explains it further here, True Christianity 4.28. The people who have done kindnesses based on a blind idea of goodwill do just as many kindnesses for the evil as for the good. The evil use the kindnesses to do evil things and harm good people. In that case, the benefactors share the responsibility for harming good people. It is as if you handed your enemy a sword and the enemy killed someone with it. Which, we don't have that much sword killing anymore, but in Swedenborg's day, they still would, would duel with those, you know. Um, so, I mean, it's a pretty intuitive point that, that, and you come across it, yeah, like, like uh, Dr. Klein was saying, somebody's asking you for money, you don't know, if I give this person money, is it going to go to food for them, or is it going to go, is it going to further their drug habit or something? You don't know. If I donate to this organization, how much of it really goes where? You don't know. And then, yeah, that it's not, if there's a judge, and they, the person really doesn't want to get in trouble for what they did, it's not loving to let them off, because for two reasons. First of all, the next person who they do that same thing to, it's harming them, but then also the person themselves who did the crime, if they don't get consequences for it, they can't turn from that behavior. They won't have an incentive to turn from that behavior. And the Swedenborg is saying, that's really harmful to the soul, to be doing harmful things to other people and make that a part of you. You need to get that turned around. So even though it doesn't seem like it at the time, it's tough love in its own form. So we've talked a little bit about the different ways to, lo- to love people and to help people. Let's talk now about how, how love kind of connects everyone and, and makes us into sort of a, a common whole. So we begin this section with a quote from Swedenborg, uh, but I've been reading a lot of those. We'll give you a break. This is Swedenborg's direct words, but read, and he's describing this concept of the way that heaven all fits together. So here it is from Secrets of Heaven 684. In the heavens, not the smallest difference exists that is not fitted into its exact place in the overall plan. 
In this way, it can unite with all the other pieces in perfect concord to form a common whole, and the common whole can contribute to unity among the individual pieces. Thus, everything combines for the happiness of the whole, rising from the individual's happiness, and for the individual's happiness, rising from the happiness of the whole. And if you see our episode, The Shape of Heaven, you will see what, why did it turn into a person, what's that all mean? And you'll, that music is from another video, uh, You Are the Lungs, which is about the same concept of the whole of heaven. The point is that, that love is making this union, that allow, love is the force that pulls things together and allows all of us to work together. Like that world I was describing before, if everybody was actually operating directly from love, what they wanted to do was help the whole human race. Think about taking your car into the auto mechanic. You wouldn't you wouldn't be worried at all. Am I getting a good deal, a bad deal? Is he just making up that this is wrong? Are they going to put some air filter that's busted up in, in my car and then say, look, you need to get this replaced, something like that? You would know this is the best service that I can get. Traveling anywhere, letting anybody... Um, you know, oh yeah, you can. You need to get something in my house here. You can let yourself in the back. You wouldn't be worried about it. You know, that's that's the whole that we could be building towards. And the only thing that creates that cohesion is us learning to act from love in these individual situations. Further on that, Secrets of Heaven six eighty seven. No angel or spirit could ever have any life without being part of some community, without joining in harmony with many others. Community is simply harmony among many. No one's life is ever isolated from the life of others. So uh, if you needed another reason to get used to this loving thing, that's that's how we survive. Whether or not we even realize it, that there there is this link that we all share. Swedenborg before, remember, at the very beginning, was describing how without the angels that we're connected to, we couldn't survive a moment. It's their, it's their love, it's, it's God's love coming through them to us. They keep us connected, and there's this, this force that's trying to move through everyone all the time. And the more that we let it, the more we get plugged in, the more that we get to be part of this common whole, which is heaven. Which is, heaven can be made up of you, even while you're in this world, if you're acting from love, you are in harmony. You are part of the, the program, you know? Secrets of Heaven fourteen nineteen. What makes love heavenly is not the desire to have anything for ourselves, but to share with everybody. So it is the desire to give everything that is ours to others. This is the essence of heavenly love. Because the Lord is love itself, or the essence and living power of the love that everyone in heaven has, He wants to give everything that is His to the human race. So what does God want? Does God want us to be God's primary goal? Is he wants to be worshipped or wants us to all be a certain way? No. What God wants deep down, if you believe Swedenborg, is to give everything to the human race that he possibly has. This is what is symbolized by his declaration that the son of humankind has come to give his soul as a ransom for many people. So those words of, of Jesus Christ. Um, Swedenborg is saying, like I said before, if you want to be in harmony with God, if you want to be in heaven, be like God. God wants everything that God has to go to everyone. So the more that we can feel, even though, yeah, you build that foundation with the mindset that I'm going to give as much as I possibly can. Swedenborg says that in heaven, uh, you can't have, nobody really feels happy with something that they have or they experience or they know unless somebody else has it as well. So with us, it's kind of like, oh, if I can get at the front of the 
the whale watching boat, then I can have the best view of the whales. That'll be great. That'll make me really happy. But there it's like, unless you know other people get to experience it with you or you can share it, you're not as pumped about it. You, you know, isn't that cool? I mean, you might at first think, oh, I want the boat. Think about everybody sharing everything and that with the way heaven is set up, you can share with all these people. You get happier every time. It's like this pretty good setup. If you dig into it, read Swedenborg. It's all there. We're going to end this segment with another video from Swedenborg where he's talking more about this. This is Secrets of Heaven 1316. If we focus on ourselves at every point, our aura usurps and absorbs everything advantageous to us, including all the pleasure of the spirits around us. It destroys freedom in them. But when the common good of all is what people focus on, then no one ever usurps another's happiness or destroys another's freedom, but promotes and increases it as much as possible. That is why heavenly communities seem to form a unit, and this is the effect of mutual love alone, which comes from the Lord. The same is true in the church. Wild, huh? So Swedenborg does say there is such a thing as an aura, that there is a sphere of life, a sphere of spiritual life that goes out of everyone and actually affects how people around them think and feel, and that we we are being affected by this all the time. And that if we are completely self-focused, we actually not only act in ways that harm people, but just our presence drags people down, because heaven is so based on this, the reverse of it, that when we want to serve the whole, it actually gives a boost to everyone. So the whole system, as we said in the beginning, the system by which we are made physically and spiritually is meant for love, is meant for giving and altruism. So if you this is the way to plug into everything. It's like you have a computer. If, you, if you're not doing this love thing, it's like you have a computer or you have a, an iPad and you're using it as a, as a paperweight or as a doorstop. You're, you're not getting the full potential of the machine, even though it doesn't maybe seem like it if you don't know how to use it. This is the direction, or so says Swedenborg and a lot of other teachers, obviously. Secrets of Heaven 1285 when, ev- when everyone practices charity or loves each other, then no matter how many people there are, even if they number in the hundreds of millions, they share a single goal, the common good, the Lord's kingdom and the Lord himself. Variety and doctrine and worship are again like the variety of senses and organs in the human body, which contribute to the perfection of the whole. When doctrine or worship varies, then the Lord, working by means of charity, affects and acts on each of us in a way uniquely suited to our personality. In this way, he fits each and every one of us into the order of things, on earth just as in heaven. So it doesn't matter how many people there are. If we all are focused on love, differences don't matter. This, in Swedenborg's day, still there's a, big, there's a lot of divisiveness based on religious doctrine, right? You do see a lot of, uh, a lot of problematic happenings based on people having different religions. But in Swedenborg's day, it was even a bigger deal. The, the people were even more segregated along belief lines. But that stuff doesn't matter. If, if love is the common goal, everything is good. And you think about it again with that world I was describing of if everyone's focused on the common good, it doesn't matter how differently everyone does everything, you know you can go places and trust people because that's what's going on, right? And that that's the way that, that God wants to affect the world and he can do it through people who want to do good. So as soon as we sign up for the program, then the master can come in 
the best architect of human happiness can come in and shape the world. Don't we need a little bit of that shaping on the world? We can do our part by becoming little parts of the, of the larger system. So then, Secrets of Heaven again, this one, 9174. The more heavenly goodness an angel gives to another from the affection of kindness, the more flows into that angel from the goodness of heaven, that is, from the Lord. So by giving to one that asks, an angel is not deprived of goods, but is enriched with them. So... In case you needed another reason to plug in, actually, we get happier the more that we give. And I wanted to, you know, get an example of this. So I went and talked to Pastor Chuck Blair, who's actually a minister at a Swedenborg-based church. And they are a church uh, that does a lot of service events. You know, like they go and, and help people in different places. And I've heard him talk a lot of times about how powerful that stuff is for him, even though he's supposed to be going and helping what it does for him. So here's him a little bit on the what service does for you when, when you go do it. So thinking about this concept of service and the new church concept of service, and in service for us, it's this great combination of loving and doing. Not kind of seeing loving and doing as divided, but understanding that doing and loving actually are inseparable. Loving then is not some sort of ethereal feeling. We actually have to do it. We have to ground our lives in it. So what is it that some of our groups do at New Church Live? Well, they do a whole lot of different things. For example, probably once a month, a group will get together and go down and cook a meal down at the Ronald McDonald House, where families from across the globe come to stay while their children are getting served at local Philadelphia hospitals. And then there's one of my favorites, St. Francis Inn down in the Kensington section of Philadelphia. Get a load of this number. They serve about 400 people a night for dinner. Done with volunteer labor, done with volunteered and donated food. It's an amazing operation. When you're around that, you can't help but change and shift. And I know for me personally, and as part of being pastor of New Church Live, it's probably been the biggest growth edge for me because you find you grow so much when you're willing to draw alongside those edges of suffering be able to really serve in ways that are hopefully selfless and ways that sort of pull you out of yourself. The world has very little to teach us when we're center and we get to make all the calls, but the world has a great deal to teach us when we're on the outside looking in, when we're unsettled, when we don't have all the answers, when the old platitudes no longer work. And for me, I've found that again and again and again in places like the Ronald McDonald House working with sick children, in places like San Francis Inn down in the Kensington section of Philadelphia and working with the great nonprofit Angels in Motion that works with the addicted down there as well. What I've learned in those places is so much more than what I ever brought because what it does is it just simply shoves the ego aside and puts you right there with other people. It doesn't give you easy answers. What it does is I believe it starts to crack us open and forces us into that place where loving and doing no longer is theological or just theoretical, but practical and actual. What in the new church we would call the doctrine of use. That's why service means so much to us here. Shoves the ego aside. I like that. That, that to live a life of ego is not wise. It's not, a smart, it's not a smart thing to do once you understand the whole picture. And that Swedenborg is saying, with love comes wisdom right? And that he's saying, with that love, you move aside the ego. With that helping, you move aside the ego, and you actually start to open up to, to a good way to do life, to a good strategy 
on life, all right? And obviously, just just go read any book. There's a, a cool book called How Can I Help that I read. Uh, read any book about service and volunteering, and you'll no, notice that the, the people doing the, the helping often get an even bigger life change. You know, the, the, wow, this I learned from these people even more than they learned, that they got from me, all right? So there it is. Now let's look in our final segment about sort of tying it all together and closing this sort of divine circle. We begin our journey in the secrets of heaven. We've been in this book series quite a lot here, uh, 4959. The reason the Lord speaks of all these things being done to himself, this is from our our quote, um, is that he is present in those kinds of people, people who know they need help, which is why he also says, truly I say to you, insofar as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. So God is present when, not only when we're helping others, but when we know that we need help. Again, humility. Humility is important. That spiritual growth can't happen without humility. So once we realize, not only can we identify, oh, that person is sick, that person is hungry, that person is thirsty, here's how I'll help. I'm hungry. I'm sick. I'm in prison. Here are the areas in my life where I have that. We can accept that help because it's not just, it doesn't just go one way. We got to be helped too. And then we start to get this circle where things can can come to term, right? This is how we can receive, because if we're just, if everybody's just helping, then who's getting helped, you know? We do both. Love wants to be loved in return. Secrets of Heaven 6737, when we look with loving eyes on someone in misery, compassion rises in us, and because it comes from the Lord, it is an alert. What is more, when people with perception feel compassion, they know they are being advised by the Lord to help. I like that. So compassion, if you, you think of that feeling that you get like, oh, you know, that, that's, that's God, that's God saying, go do something, right? I, I just want to put that in there because I think that that's a, a cool little definition. Seekers of Heaven 1388. It is, and this is, uh, so what, what's the Lord's wish? It is the Lord's wish that all blessings spread contagiously and that everyone enjoy mutual love and grow happy as a result. So one of the things, you know, if you're looking at the Swedenborg, he says he had this inside track on knowing what does God want? Does God want anything? Is, is God a sentient being? There is, think about something that you want in life. Maybe you want your family to be happy or you want to accomplish this particular thing. You want people to see you in a certain way. Whatever it is you want, you kind of yearn for that thing. It's sort of always in your mind. You're trying to go after it. For God, everyone to be happy. So think of like that that state of mind, like, oh man, we're so far from that. How is it hard to be God? You know, is it hard to be that far from it? That's what God wants, and that actually would be not so bad for the rest of us too, right? So this whole episode is about trying to help do that. And it can be even, so we can do these actions to help, and it can be even better, even more effective if 
we're doing these actions for for better and better reasons. And we're going to go back to Sony one last time as she talks about sort of the progression of motivation. Because, you know, I can come in here and say, oh, love everyone, love everyone, it's so great. You don't always feel like loving everyone. You don't always have that. It's, it's yeah, nobody has that. We're not asking you to be superhuman. We all go through different levels of motivation, and that's fine, and that's a natural progression. So here she's going to talk about it a little more. Swedenborg talks almost like a progression of maturity about why do we do what we do when we help others, why when we're altruistic. And he implies that at first we might do rather simple things. For instance, we might visit somebody who's sick or in prison because we hope somebody will give us a reward. Maybe somebody will say, oh, you're the best person of the year, or somebody will say, yay, you gave blood, or yay, you did this. And we're looking for some kind of notoriety or some kind of uh, fame. And that might be the initial one. We certainly do that when, when we're children. The question is, if we stay in that kind of childlike state the, our whole lives, we really haven't matured. But the second one is interesting. The second stage is, this is when uh, we give our time, our energy, our money, our resources to somebody, and they misuse it. And we're shocked. I gave them all my clothing. Do you know what they did with them? They sold it all on eBay. And we're shocked, and then we think, I'm never giving away again. So it almost stops us in our tracks from being generous. And again, that's stage two when we're sort of shocked when other people take advantage of our generosity. But that's not the last stage. The next one is we start stereotyping and saying, well, I'm only going to give to white people, or I'm only going to be generous to people in my neighborhood, or I'm only going to be generous to people in my um, my church group. I don't want to deal with all those other people. And we start assuming that groups of people are worthy of our generosity and our altruism. But actually the most mature, according to Swedenborg, is when you look at one individual at a time, regardless of whether they're your neighbor or whether or not they're related to you, and you look for something positive in that person. It's called using discernment. You, you sort through that complex human being, look for something positive, and encourage that. That's much more mature. So it's very common for us to have those initial motivations, wanting some kind of reward, um, giving, and then, well, I'm not gonna give anymore because they abused all my gifts, or stereotyping groups of people and thinking, I'm only gonna give to them, I'm not gonna give to them. But actually the hardest thing to do is to pay attention to what is something constructive, good, or positive in another person, and then that's what I'm going to encourage. So there's a progression. Don't be too hard on yourself if your motivation, like, you know, we, that's why we include it in this show. There's other benefits for you. Sometimes we're, we're a human. Sometimes we just are acting in self-interest. That's fine. It's not about condemning every little scrap of that. Do the best you can. Swedenborg talks about sort of fake it till you make it. You know, the more we do this stuff, action is the path to wisdom and love, you know, so you do it at first, then the motivation can come, don't be too worried about, oh, am I doing this for the perfect reasons or not, just have a, a little bit of humility, and, and have that as a, as a goal on your horizon, and God should be able to pull you in the right direction, if you liked what Sony had to say about this, again, she did write a book, it's called Altruism, Many Kinds of Kindness, and, and it's, it's centered sort of around this theme, if you're looking for further reading on it, uh, of course, you can also pick up any of Swedenborg's books that we referenced here, you can download them, and I'd want to close by saying we were talking about it, about loving, and you sometimes hear the word charity and think in terms of 
what what Chuck was talking about, the soup kitchens, that kind of thing. That stuff is awesome, and you got to do it. And like we're saying, you want to help all the people who have these physical ailments as well. However, you can also be loving just in your in your day-to-day life. And Swedenborg actually says you can do a lot of what he would call charity through just your job and doing that ethically and, and trying to contribute to society ethically. Obviously, your own personal relationships, you know a lot there. So both, you know, you can go help people you don't know well. You can also do a lot of good in the world that you're native to. You know what I'm saying? All right, that was fun. Thank you guys for being a part of it if you liked it at all. Please like and subscribe. Click those buttons, or, or, or you know, if you're on your tablet, click them whenever it pops up, because that helps YouTube uh, get our message out there. Because they see, oh, people are enjoying this. It keeps you up to date. If that's a great way you can you can contribute to this program if it's moving you in a positive way at all, that helps us out. Hopefully, this helped you out. We're gonna take a, a teeny tiny break, and on the other side, we'll talk about uh, your your questions and comments in the in the live uh, question answering section. So we'll see you then. So, a couple of components have converged here to create a short question segment. One, we're already running long. This show is supposed to be an hour. It's always like an hour and 20 minutes. Um, But the other is we were having some problems with the live stream, so there's not as many live questions because people keep getting kicked off. Very sorry about that. Of of course, you can rewatch it, uh, record it, as you probably know if you're watching this right now. All right, but we are going to take three three questions here. Uh, Let's look at our first one now. Blender, what does Swedenborg say about animal rights? Oh, man. Um, let's see. Ooh, yeah. I don't think that that certainly wasn't a term in Swedenborg's day. Um, and he doesn't, I mean, he says things like, you know, how we were talking about the ancient church, uh, or the most ancient church that came up, sort of like the, the earlier heavenly mindset. He said that, so the, he often references those people as being closer to the pattern of heaven, you know, um, he talks about them as thinking that the killing of animals was was a ghastly, beastly kind of thing, and they wouldn't want to do it. So he certainly does equate, he doesn't say, like, God says it's fine to kill all the animals you want. He certainly says that that's not an ideal state. So I think that's his, that's, that's his most powerful... Um, uh, endorsement of that. I know that there are have been a lot of Swedenborgians who were involved in the early vegetarian society when it first was created in 18-something-something. So uh, he certainly has had some things. He doesn't say a ton about it, but those are a couple indications in that direction. All right. Okay. Thanks, Blender. And let's take a look at the next one. Barb, is it possible to sin or transgress God's laws when you're in heaven? Can you move up and down in the levels of heaven if you mess up? Um... Yes, I mean, I don't know if you'd use those exact terms, but Swedenborg describes even angels as having all kinds of negative stuff within them, just like we do. The difference is, with angels, that stuff has been moved to the periphery, that the the center of their life is good, and all that stuff is usually dormant, you know, that they don't have the same kind of negative stuff going on that we do. They They are much more loving, but it's not that all the bad stuff that that we had as people gets erased in the next life. It just can get pushed aside. So sometimes 
uh, where we in the next life or angels, Swedenborg says the same thing, are do go in cycles, just like you have the cycle of the seasons here or the cycle of the day where you're in a lower state and you kind of are, are a little out of your funk, you know? And in that, you do actually have sort of reformation and changing. It's not like, oh, you're in the second heaven, you go to the first level, heaven permanently, you you travel, but it's it's not that regimented, you know, it's part of your process, and this is part of the continual growth process, as he describes it. So that's a good one. Let's take a look at the next one. Mark, is it practical to deeply love others beyond spouse and close family? Yes, I think so. Well, this this is my opinion on it, is that, you know, love as an emotion is is pretty unlimited, you know, that, that uh, you can feel, and you sometimes just get that out of the blue. You'll see something about someone on TV, and you feel like very, very, suddenly very compassionate towards them. Now, how that manifests, that's a different story. If I was to say, there's a lot of people around the world who could use the money that I have, or that, you know, if I, so I could sell everything I have and give it to some people in, somewhere who, who, are, who don't have much. Um, but then that would make it so that my family wouldn't have anything, right? So that maybe isn't practical. And I think this is part of it. Swedenborg says um, it's not against charity to provide for yourself and your family. People do that at different levels. They give at different levels. So certainly, um, I think you can love everybody equally, but just through wisdom, realizing the way it works is we're in these more intimate relationships where we have to provide more to the people that are dependent on us or that are closely linked to us, you know? Um, whereas there are other people who, even though they're, they're in great need, there's not, a, there's not like you should give up everything to them because then you create more need where you are. Do you know what I mean? And people do that in all different shades. But I think that you can still, like I said, you're working at your job for the human race. Whatever you're doing, you're trying to improve the condition of the human race, and you can throw your entire self into that. Do you know what I mean? And some people do sell everything they have and go live and help people. I think there's different ways of doing it. What I'm saying is the manifestation based on your wisdom, based on your assessment of what needs to be done can be different, but yet there is there can still be as deep a love, I think. it does. Even though you support the people in your family more, it doesn't necessarily have to mean I love other people less, or that if there was only one bag of food left in the world, I would grab it for my own family. You know what I'm saying? Okay, we actually got... So there's my half answer to that. We actually got one more question, so we're, we're going to do that. Lisa, does Swedenborg put kindness and gratitude together as a duality? like you put love and wisdom together. That's very interesting. Um, I haven't seen him doing that, using those two terms in tandem, like love and wisdom. It certainly sort of seems like, I mean, he describes it in other sort of language. He says that it is innate, as I said earlier in the show, it's the nature of love to want to be loved in return, and I sort of see gratitude as the receiving of love. He also, um, the kindness, it's sort of like the in and out flow, like the the kindness is God's love coming through us. The gratitude is our uh, realizing that God is doing that through us. So there is that pairing. I haven't seen him use it, but it certainly fits with his theology. So 
Thanks very much for that. Thanks, everybody, for watching. It's been a lot of fun for me. Hopefully, it's been fun for you. If you want to continue to have these fun, hopefully, sort of experiences, consider making a donation to the Swedenborg Foundation. It's a nonprofit, you can, or you can get a membership to it. Just click here or click this little I or click the donate buttons on the different pages. You can find it. it helps us do what we do. helps us get the word out. Uh, it's, it's a, it's, we're not selling stuff. We're, we're making free material so that you can uh, enjoy it when you need to. And if you feel like you're in a position where it's good for you to give back, then let's do it. All right. So thanks very much for considering. Let's hang out again. You want to do it next week? I do. We're going to talk next Monday about modern spiritual experiences and how they tie in with Swedenborg and what they can tell us about the human condition and life. So hopefully I'll see you then. Thanks for hanging.